Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you've got half an hour to spare. That's about how long it will take us to look at another social issue from a variety of points of view, where the idea is we'll offer some balance rather than some bias. And today, a problem close to the hearts of many who would love to climb their way onto the property ladder. Can it be done? We find out today on Active Intelligence. On today's episode, I caught up with Jardine Tapara. She is a mum and a Sereo teacher in the Waikato, and she has bought her very first home. How did she do it? Particularly after being targeted by loan sharks while she was at university. We'll find out about that a little later on, but first of all, let's talk about the issue. It's not a surprise to many of us if you have young adult children who are desperate to get onto the property ladder, you'll have heard their lament. Is it even possible? And you don't even have to be young to wonder if you'll ever own a home, which is why, of course, some people are having to be incredibly creative to get on that first rung of the property ladder. Look, we say to people, you know, don't give up on your dream of owning your first home. You've got to look at it slightly differently, I think, than what we did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. You're not going to have the full, the full section or the villa in central Auckland. So looking more on the outskirts of the major cities, you know, if you can work from home, and that's become, you know, much more common practice now since COVID, that people and the technology can actually work from home. So look at sort of more of the outskirts places to buy. Look at options such as going in with friends, family, flatmates. We're seeing a lot more of that happening at the moment. We're also seeing some schemes come into play, kind of shared equity, so you can kind of own a portion of a house. So it's about being flexible around the type of property, you know, possibly starting off with an apartment or a townhouse, and then looking at it as a foot on the property ladder with a, with a view to actually move up down the track. And Leslie, what would your advice be to those who have kept trying and kept trying and not managed to get that property? Look, we just say to people, don't give up. We're still seeing people get into their first homes. The major thing that we're actually, I suppose, trying to encourage people is, first of all, get rid of the debt. That seems to be one of the biggest obstacles at the moment for people getting into houses. We did a survey recently across our membership base and it was around about $9,000 worth of debt that people were carrying on average. So that will reduce your lending by about $50,000. So in order to be the best customer that you can be for the bank, reduce your lending. Be flexible. Keep going for your going for your dream. Don't give up on that dream, but do your homework and become an absolute expert in buying your first home and also become an expert customer for the bank. So reduce that debt, become a really good customer of the bank with the view of actually making it easier for yourself to get the lending. So maybe shared equity and some other more innovative approaches are what's required. Of course, it is debt that is the reason that many people are never quite able to get onto the property ladder. It's a bad look, of course, to the bank. But practically speaking, of course, many people are so focused servicing their debt, they never get round to saving. And it would turn out, it seems, that those right at the bottom of the property pile, those with the least chance of getting on the property ladder, are even more likely to be caught up in debt as they get targeted by loan sharks or payday lenders who are willing to take everything just to supposedly help them get by. 
So this is my car, my pride and joy. Many Kiwis like Solo Mum of four, Angela, are left with no choice but to use a third-tier lender. And what does the letter there say, Angela? It's a letter basically saying that if I don't pay the fees that are owing, within two days they're going to repossess this car. And that means that I'll have no transport. How much money have you got to find to be able to keep this car? $1,700. Can you find that in two days? Not at all, no way. And what will happen to you once this car goes? How will you get on with your life? Well, I won't be able to get my kids off to school. It's a nice car. It, she yeah. first borrowed money from a finance company some five years ago. This is my only form of transport. I wanted to get Christmas presents for my kids, so I just wanted a bit of help along the way. So from what I remember, I think I borrowed probably about 700 on my first visit there. This particular company were only too happy to help with a 35.5% interest rate. But with only part-time sporadic work and four children to support, Angela quickly fell behind. She ended up in arrears. By late last year, she owed the finance company $5,300. Yet still, she was given another $1,200. With that, the original loan is refinanced, which means a settlement fee is applied and then a, um, a re-establishment fee is also applied, plus a, um, an a payment protection plan that doesn't always um, suit the needs of the borrower. My dad passed away at the time. We weren't um, settled in well at the time, so I was quite um, in need of the money to go back home since I was the only child and I had to go back home for my dad's funeral. So Pacific Island families are especially at risk. Many send cash back to their home countries. Some can't afford it. I ended up um, going to the finance company where I spent like only 30 minutes to um, get the loan approved. Sarah took two loans out with two different finance companies. How much interest did you end up paying on those loans? Uh, it ended up like almost double the amount that I borrowed. The loans she took out carried a 29.5% per annum interest charge. When she returned from Samoa, she simply couldn't afford to pay. Her family moved into emergency accommodation and sought financial help. I was able to consolidate all into one uh, non-interest loan from them, from the microfinance. In this case, help was at hand from the Natangata Microfinance Trust. It provided Sarah with a way out. The trust was set up to offer safe, fair and affordable credit loan options with no fees. Its goal, a fairer financial system for all New Zealanders. But despite being helped by Natangata, the finance companies weren't finished there. When I paid off all my debts from them, uh, I kept on receiving calls from them, uh, like, oh, you can come and we can offer you this amount, you can, whatever time you need, just come. 
We're definitely going to have to tighten up continually on those payday lenders and loan sharks. They are targeting the vulnerable and, of course, helping the poor get poorer and taking what little they have from them, making it nigh but impossible to ever get onto the property ladder. That is a real problem and a reminder that the market is not interested in helping people but helping itself. How do you help yourself? Well, it turns out, of course, that the government initiative that most of us consider the pathway to comfort in retirement, KiwiSaver, might actually be the pathway to getting onto the property ladder. Yeah, it's very topical at the moment with a lot of people looking to get into their first home, especially in this market. And it actually can be quite daunting to think about how much you need in order to be able to put down your deposit. One of the best things you can do is actually start early. So as soon as you start your first job, get signed up to KiwiSaver and you don't notice that money coming out of your pay. Uh, and it's surprising how quickly that can build up. Then when you are ready to start looking for your first home, as long as you've been in KiwiSaver for three years, give your KiwiSaver provider a call and just talk to them about what else that you need to do in order to get that money out. Fantastic. So say we've managed to successfully purchase our first home and now we need to get back into saving for our retirement. How do we get our KiwiSaver back on track? Yeah, really important to review it after you have bought your first home because KiwiSaver is really for your retirement. So you need to reset your goals and just think about making those regular contributions because that way you'll build up your plan again and also you'll qualify for the government contributions each year. But also um, having a look at your fund choice because you might have been in something that's a little bit more conservative while you were saving for your first home. Now you might be 20, 30, 40 years away from retirement. So something that's a little bit more of a growth fund might be more suitable. So have a chat to your KiwiSaver provider or get some advice on what the best fund choice is for you. If you are currently saving for your first home deposit, what should you consider with your KiwiSaver fund? Yeah, you should probably consider the returns that you're getting on it because you don't want anything that's going to be too volatile because if we go through something like we've just been through uh, recently, there's a lot of volatility in the market and your KiwiSaver fund can actually drop quite a lot. So you'd want to be in a fund that's actually more stable and a little bit less movement, um, less tolerance for the, for the market movements. So there you go. The problem is often debt. And one of the answers is using your KiwiSaver in a more creative way. It's really great that that possibility is there. But do people even know that they can utilise their KiwiSaver to get into their very first home? Well, certainly Jardine Tapara didn't know about that kind of stuff. She grew up in an environment where there was not a lot uh, of talk about owning a home. In fact, most of the time it would appear... They spent more time talking about which was the next rental they would be moving into. And yet this Tereo teacher and mum has done it. She's got herself on the property ladder, proven that it can be done. What was the key? Well, I asked her to tell us her story. It, yes, I come from a whānau of eight. Um, and we have a complicated papa, I should say. So I have three older siblings. Um to um they and they had a different father so we all share the same mum um and there's eight of us um so there was the older siblings uh father then my father and then the love story happens that my mum returned to her first marriage they yeah um reunited after 14 years yeah so um 
complicated, but that's our big whanau. <laughs> we are all one big whanau anyway. Raised in Waikato, Hamilton predominantly. Um, but we had, yes, relocated several times um, from memory. I had to count back and I think there was over 22 homes. Rentals in my lifetime um, where we had moved um, between uh, Auckland and Hamilton. Um, and then there's also my own little rental journeys too prior to um, buying. We were, when I say pōhara, pōa, um, money-wise, um, but in saying that, we were rich in our culture, and that's one thing mum started with me. So my three older siblings um, weren't educated in te reo Māori, um, and, and so when I was born, mum because she also was an adult learner too in her journey and so um i went through the uh, kohanga reo and kūra Papa whare kūra and now teaching within our total immersion maori kūra um and i think part of that too was my drive although i think i did make my silly mistakes when i turned 18 um come from a i guess a really sheltered kuda system and a fano and then when i went to university it was like wow the world hit me um and it was bicultural multicultural and it was a whole nother language when it came to um financial literacy um, well, let's so, talk about the sort of the result, though, of being raised in a whānau where there are there are eight children. I might guess that there wasn't a lot to go around. As you said, you were you were rich in, in culture, rich in whānau, but not necessarily uh, being exposed to the idea that you should expect to have much when it comes to finances. Absolutely. Um, so we, I think, a shoestring shoe budget, I'll put it that way, um, and Pohara too in a sense where our young, my younger siblings were twins so my mum had twins my twin sisters when she was 42 so there was that as well I think um, still parenting and um, with babies at that age for mum and also not working and I was still in secondary school um, when they were born and um, so yeah, I, those were my crucial years where I really remember us struggling um, from worrying about what are we going to eat for dinners um, the next day, literally living week to week, day to day, um, to the point um, where I remember where we had to use um, pillowcases for nappies um, for my twin sisters because that was double of everything and it was um, milk powder and and so and you got your treasures that you had to cover as well so oh my goodness and I think about it, I'm like wow if I had met you that first year at university and asked you do you think you'll ever own a home after having been through so many rentals and and dealing with such kind of in a sense uh, small uh, resources what would you have said um, prior to I guess prior uh, prior to my um, uh, experiences with um, uh, loan sharks in the banks and the likes. Um, oh, I was very optimistic. I was very driven in, in that sense. I think um, my one of my best friends, so she came from a, 
um, I guess, a privileged home. Um, parents were still married and they owned homes. And so when I used to go over there, I used to dream like, man, you know, I, I wish we could or I want to do the same too. I want to... I can remember myself telling myself at that time that I want to do better. I want to do something for myself and my whanau. Um, So having that close friend of mine and um, staying over at her house, it's like, wow, is this how, how it can be? Like, just I had a taste of what it was like um, out of my home mm. too. So I, I do acknowledge my friend now too for those experiences. Little does she know that it had an effect on me, uh, it had a massive impact on me because I thought, okay, cool. Because he far um, no Māori too. So I thought, oh, well, you know, it is possible being Māori to be somewhat successful and uh, owning your own home. So that was there. But I guess, so when I started uni at 2000, I finished school in 2003, started in 2004, and I was still 17. Um, February came around, which was orientation week at uni, and then I turned 18. And um, if you're familiar with Waikato University, they have the banks on site. Oh, okay. And so in the student village where you go for cafeteria to eat, and then they were just out there, you know, here, get a student overdraft. And I'm like, wow, what is that? You know, it's like, oh, you get $1,000 and you don't have to pay it back. Well, you know, your money goes in and then it kind of takes away, but you can keep using it. So I was thinking, oh, this sounds easy. sounds cool and not too... Yeah, so then there was that, and then um, when you opened up your bank accounts, I was a student account then, and which offered your uh, uh, credit card at the time, your student overdraft, and so naturally, um, I go and have tattoo and go and sign up to all these silly things. What, what did you been told about things like overdrafts? Do you feel like you were told about money when you were growing up? No, not enough. I never knew what a student, uh, what an overdraft was, other than my mum complained because we were always in the deficit. So we were always in the red, or she had negative um, amounts of money in her account. So that's all I knew about overdrafts. I didn't see it as a um, as a semi loan. Mm. You mentioned yeah. the loan sharks. Was there kind of a low point in your story? Uh, yes. So. Um, and this all happened in a year so I did uh, open an account following the closing of National Bank I opened an up account with the credit union and at the time it was like you know get $5,000 loan and you get and it's $40 a week and I thought okay I can kind of manage that over four years a three to four year contract um, and that happened so with that I, w- I bought my first car and it was through the Turner's car auction. So it was just off the lot. It wasn't through an auction. And it was um, $1,900. Um, so that was out of my 5000 And then two weeks later, I was in a car accident. Someone ran a red light and wiped it out. So it was running off. So I had to go through that too. And I only had like minimal amounts. I also uh, moved out and flatmated as well uh, in my first year of uni. So I thought that's what the 5000 was there for, to get me out, buy me a new bed and, you know, set up in that student life. Um, so when I lost my car, I went on a bit of a downer. Um, 
and then I had just a little bit, like 1500, so I found another card, just to kind of get me from A to B, and I learned my lesson with um, insurance then, that, you know, if I was insured, then it may have, well, I would have, I would have been covered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was the spiral, that was the beginning, and then um, months later, um, my mum and twin sisters went over to um, families uh, in Melbourne to a 50th birthday. It was a combined birthday of uh, my aunt, my auntie and uncle uh, in Australia. And um, to the point where she was there for two weeks, My fortunately my auntie actually flew, flew them over and then they were semi-stuck there. So it was kind of like, how were they coming home? And I just silly me again. I just thought, okay, I'll get a loan to kind of pay off another loan. or to pay off the first loan, but enough to have a little bit more just to get my family home. And there was a couple of hundreds of dollars left. I said, well, while I'm bringing my family home, I might as well come over and have a little bit of a holiday, which was a weekend. Yeah. Some would say you were, you were learning the hard way. The uh, very hard way. Yeah, but I just thought it was The turning point. When did your story start turning and you started actually learning and making the kinds of choices that could change your future? Yeah. So it had a massive impact on me too, I think, um, mentally as well, and during my first years of studies. So I finished my year, my first year, and I was in, I was into my second year, and I just had enough, and I thought I just needed a bit of a, a gap year and just to, to work because I had to work more than I could focus on studying to try and pay off some existing debt. Um, so I had a gap year and... Um, actually went to Australia to see if I could try and uh, find work over there, but I only lasted like two months and I came home. I decided to finish off my studies and knuckle down. Look at to And knuckle down. So um, I kind of just got through my studies. I thought, look, if I can get through my studies, start working, teaching and then I can start paying these off um but I was yeah paying it off bit by bit with my at the time I wasn't a student allowance because I finished uh halfway through through a year so I had to do a half a year on um living costs so that kind of added to my um student loan yes and so once I finished um once I graduated and I also relocated to Gisborne. That allowed me to work during the day and study by night because when I was in Hamilton, I was fixed to attending on campus and I it, was, it only left me the afternoons really to work, which was um, telemarketing at the time, like DigiPol and the likes. Um, so when I relocated to Gisborne, um, I had teacher aiding jobs and youth working uh, roles as well. Um, so that really helped me during my last year of um, studies because I was able to work properly, 
okay. But then, you know, it took, a, it took, a, it took a toll on me while studying in, in the evening, but, well, that's what you, the commitment I made. When did you start saving for a house? When did you start thinking the house was a possibility? Oh, later, like 10 years later. Um, kind of lived life for a bit, and after the passing of my mum, which was in 2010, I was just a beginning teacher out of, I was in my first year of um, my full-time permanent teaching role. So that took its toll on me. Um, I guess three years after was a bit of a blur, um, to be honest, following um, the passing of my mum. And because I was still living in Gisborne at the time, I decided to move home back to Hamilton. Seven years after the passing of my mum, I gave birth to my first daughter. Um, so... That's, I think that's when I realised, you know, I really need to do something. I really need to knuckle down now. And I was 27 at the time when I had my um, firstborn. And um, so semi, I was saving, but I didn't really have any saving goals. I didn't know. I just thought, okay, I'll open up a separate account and I'll just put money in there. And then use it for emergencies or something like that. So where did the plan come from? How did you work out how you were going to do it? Yes, so I was my second born. <laughs> so when I was, um, I just had my uh, second born, my daughter, and I was on maternity leave. Fortunately, I was on um, a study maternity leave. So I was um, released for a year to do my postgraduate studies and my master's. And it was during that time that I um, attended uh, iwi um, driven uh, financial literacy workshop and that's when I learned like, that's when the light bulb moment, moment happened like okay so all these years I've been kind of doing it wrong and so 2017 was when I first started to knuckle down save restarted my um, Kiwi Center because at the time I I just thought no I need all my money like I didn't think I was going to buy a house and so if I had of um, started my Kiwi Center in 2007 when it first came out when I was first teaching I would have had a ton of I would have had a really healthy deposit so um still kicking myself and I'm I preach to everyone I know. Yeah. Kiwi saver, mark it up to ten percent, you know, and just let it build, let it grow. I I think in the back of my mind I was still thinking, man, I've my credit is shot. I I don't know how I'm gonna make this work, but um I I just think, you know what? No, actually I'll go and see a broker. Um uh, financial advisor and see what and she was really helpful she goes actually no you're not too bad like um or and so we made a plan i just grew my savings um and i was a natural scrooge i guess after my um mistakes early mistakes i became a natural scrooge with my money and i decided never to go down that track again um so i paid them off as well um and then i've yeah started to learn about growing and about separating your finances too um so you've done it you've you've got yourself in your in your first home 
an incredible accomplishment yes. if you really only started back in 2017. 2017. What will you? What are you going to tell your beautiful kids who've been sort of uh, desperately want your attention tonight? But what, what will you tell them as they grow that you wish you'd been told? I've already told. Um, I, I just I speak to my daughters now. You know, like, um, what is your first mission? Hukufari, to buy a house. And I said, like, yes, so I'm going to lie. I've planted that seed as they grow um, and as they age. And that's when I'll be kind of being a bit more specific around everything. You know, you're going to be approached by this. You are going to be persuaded by all these $40 a week signs of just $5,000 loans, easy, simple. Um, but hopefully I'm in a position where they can actually come to me and go, what do I do here? You know, and just having that, um, well, that mum. Isn't it amazing uh, how that vision can be so important, so compelling? I love the elements of Jardine's story that are, are worth kind of noting, that she did actually have hope for owning a home, that it was good for her to know another Māori family who did own a property. It gave her that sense that it could be done. That's how important aspiration can be. But it wasn't enough, was it? What was really needed was an aspiration. She had that when she went to university. What she lacked was information. She really didn't understand how the payday lenders would work, how even car insurance worked. Clearly, she did not have enough information yet to really thrive in the world, economically speaking, although she was thriving in other ways. But information. Firstly, uh, it was the course that she attended that was put on by the local iwi. That was a good initiative. Then the financial advisor, who was able to answer that question for her. Was she, in fact, in a position to buy a house? She didn't believe it. Or well, she needed information. This is one of those moments where information is most certainly power. And we want to see more people get empowered. So I wonder if the answer today is that we need to make sure, actually, that at high school, that maybe we need to ditch things like um, what they used to call home economics, you know, how to cook, and actually have classes that are about more sort of life economics. How does insurance really work? What's the best way uh, to save up for a house? How do you use your KiwiSaver in creative ways? How do you team up with other people to get what you want? Because that lack of information is meaning that people lack vision, they lack a pathway to the life that they want. And so instead of a plan, all they're left with is a dream and ultimately those uh, loan sharks will turn that dream into a nightmare if you give them half a chance. What's your experience? Heard some innovative ways of getting into the property market, climbing that property ladder? Get in touch. The website is activeintelligence.nz. And of course, hit that subscribe button and we'll make sure that every episode comes right into your inbox. We'll see you next time on Active Intelligence.